Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, just thank you uh, again for another opportunity to come and uh, read your word and hear what you have to say to us about about our lives. We thank you so much for uh, the truth of your grace, the gospel that uh, you came uh, to die for sinners and that you rose again uh, for our hope, uh, for your glory, and we uh, rest under the umbrella of your grace, Lord. And so, uh, we take this as instruction, not for our salvation, uh, but for our help, uh, for um, our comfort, for uh, righteousness uh, given out of gratitude, reflecting uh, your love for us. So we ask, Lord, for you to get all the glory and um, in our lives, but teach us, Lord, to order our lives in such a way that will glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had the first part uh, of Overstuffed and Overjoyed, Theology of Money for Everyday Living. Uh, and if you remember, that sort of the driving force, the driving principle behind uh, this class is that it's all His. It's, it all already uh, belongs to God, not just the 10% or whatever percentage you give, but, but the 100%. Uh, and we said uh, that if it is all His, then uh, it is not ours. If it's all His, then it's not ours. And if it's all His, then really God doesn't need our money. Um, and we said if it's all His, that our contentment doesn't come from a pile of stuff. Now that class, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago uh, in the chapter room, that class is available uh, online. And we're going to hit uh, some of those, um, hit a little bit about it not being ours, a little bit about God not needing our money, and why we're going to talk at the end about giving and uh, tithing specifically. Um, but I want to really start with the, the last one. Our contentment uh, doesn't come uh, from a pile of stuff. And I want to just spend a little time talking about uh, contentment and especially uh, maybe going into idolatry uh, a little bit. Uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Who's got that? Philippians 4. Yeah, Alfred. Okay, now we actually had this verse last time. Um, I have learned, Paul, this is Paul writing to the Philippians, I have learned in whatever situation I am uh, to be content. And then that famous verse, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In context, uh, Paul is talking uh, not about I can do anything, I can go you know, try out for the NBA you know, through Christ who strengthens me, but, but actually that, that whatever situation comes my way, because life has its ups and downs, that I can be content because my contentment is not found in circumstances. My contentment is found uh, in Christ. Now, one of the uh, tenets, really, that our country was founded upon was that we have the right to pursue our own happiness. We have the right to pursue our own happiness. Life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness. People have always, time out of mind, not, not, not just in our country, but, it, but always, have equated uh, happiness with circumstantial comfort. Um, and, and, and I want to say that that's not always wrong. Uh, it's not always wrong because stuff is amoral. It is not, stuff is not inherently good or inherently bad. It's just stuff, right? It's just stuff. You know, a brick, um, and I, I'm 
I've said, said in the last class, some of what I'm, I've taken is from uh, other sources. Uh, Dave Ramsey uh, said that, that a brick can be used uh, to build a strong wall that, that protects, that, um, that comforts, that provides housing, or a brick can be used to smash a windshield. A brick, there's nothing, it, nothing it, it's, it's, all, it's not about what the brick itself is about, uh, how it's used. Uh, the brick is amoral. Uh, not immoral, but amoral. And, and money is the same way. It can be used to, to build up and to strengthen and to fortify and to bless, and it can be used uh, for harm. Um, it's not, money is amoral. It's all in how it is uh, used. In fact, really everything, you can tell you, everything is that way. Um, and when we have comfortable circumstances, uh, I said it's not always wrong to find comfort, um, to, be, to equate happiness with comfort, because when we have comfortable circumstances, we are free from distractions to pursue worthy things, uh, like and maybe especially our relationship uh, with the Lord. And, and sometimes when you know, life is blowing up in our face, that's a good time to draw near to the Lord, but sometimes it's, we are distracted. And so I don't want to say that, um, that it's bad to be to happy when you're comfortable. And hopefully you have times in your life where uh, things are smoother uh, than others and, and the Lord is present in both of those. But so it's not bad to be happy when, when life is comfortable, but, but happiness, uh, contentment is not circumstantial. See, contention arises in our hearts when we can't be satisfied with ourselves or we can't be satisfied with the Lord uh, if we don't have the comfort. And that's a problem. Can we not be satisfied in the Lord and content with the Lord if we don't have the comfort and the stuff becomes a condition for our happiness? And in fact, we get mad at God when He takes away the stuff or when the market collapses or we lose our job or uh, you know, when we lose our house or whatever it is. And you know, after all I've done for you, God, this is the thanks I get. Um, the stuff becomes a condition for our happiness. And the word for that, the biblical word for that, is idolatry. Uh, that is uh, idolatry. And, and it goes deeper still. Uh, idolatry goes deeper still when the stuff is a secondary idol as a means of impressing other people and getting, gaining their approval. And so the stuff idol becomes a means to the primary idol, which is the approval of others. What will my neighbors think if I don't drive this car or have this house or, uh, um, or, or wear these clothes or whatever it is? And, and the reality is that everybody has that same fear and we're all propping, propping ourselves up to look that way to people who are propped up by these, this sort of fake uh, idol of the other, other people's approval. And we often, and I want, you, I want to be very clear that I, uh, I throw myself right, uh, right in there. Amy, you can throw yourself in if you want, but I, so I don't, I'm not including you necessarily in that. Uh, but I uh, throw, my, uh, throw myself uh, right uh, in there too. And we use Christian phrases to sort of justify uh, everything, the pursuit of other things that impress other people. You know, God is so good to me. I'm so, we're just so blessed uh, right now. And I just want to sort of, sort of get the skunk on the table. Uh, of uh, this um, idolatry, that we are not content with ourselves, with our circumstances, with God, uh, if we don't have the stuff. And maybe even the stuff is not just the stuff, it's, it's, it's actually what others think about it. Not for everybody. 
but for a lot of people. Luke 12, 16 through 21. He's got that. Okay, next. All right. The parable of the rich fool. Now we've said all along that stuff is amoral. There's nothing immoral about a 60-inch television. It's just, you know, it's just a, a thing. Not, there's no, nothing immoral about it. There's nothing immoral about a Chevrolet or a Mercedes-Benz. Or, I mean, there's just, they're just things. Um, the problem is not with this man's wealth. You heard what, if you, if you listen to it, the man uh, has a lot and he's, he has, in fact, so much that he can't keep it all in, in the storage uh, facilities he has. So he's going to tear down those storage facilities and build up bigger barns. Uh, and then he will be, um, then he will say to his soul, Soul, you have ample goods for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. See, the problem is not that the man has wealth. The problem is that that is where he is finding rest for his soul. It is an idol for him. And it's why, this is why Jesus said it's easier, this was brought up um, a couple of weeks ago, Jesus, this is why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man uh, to enter the kingdom of God because the stuff is so alluring. Uh, we, it tricks us. It convinces us that we deserve it. You know, somebody like me needs this thing or that thing. Because I deserve it. What do, I mean, really, who am I really? What do I deserve? Well, I've earned it, but it's all His. It's not ours. One interesting thing that I can certainly see in my own life, I've seen in just many, many, many other people, um, there are a lot of people my age and younger uh, who are in a tremendous, well, and older too, but in a tremendous amount of debt. And the reason is because they get out of college and they expect for themselves the same lifestyle that they had uh, that they were given by their parents. And, and so they finance it all. And then they are up to their eyeballs or maybe above their eyeballs in, in debt uh, and they can't give or any, anything. They're just you know, trying to get a paycheck and they have this great salary but it all is already spent uh, because they expect for themselves they deserve it. Somebody like them you know, should have this thing and that thing and that thing. Um, and they finance it. Uh, I sort of tend to think that if you can't pay for it, you don't deserve it. Um, and 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 when you can pay for it, you you might deserve it. There's nothing wrong with having it. Um, but you know, the American dream it fuels our idolatries. It really does. I love being an American. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But the American dream fuels our idolatries. And uh, in, in a recent article. Um, it was about a little over maybe a year, year and a half ago now. Uh, David Brooks, you know, the New York Times columnist, he just wrote a book. Uh, he, he said um, 
the thirst for public admiration, he's talking about his own idol, his own unquenched uh, desire for success. He said the thirst for public admiration is like the thirst for money. It's never ending and you never get to the point where you say, I've had enough. We can see that in the approval of others. We can see that in the thirst for money. And, and my guess is that for most of us, uh, we, can, we can probably name the idols that we hope to bring peace to our souls. And we can also admit that those things actually never bring peace. They just bring more anxiety and more searching for peace. Um, Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Yeah, David. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, it sounds churchy to say this, but there really is only one place that we have contentment that is lasting, that we really have rest for our souls. That's the only reason why Paul could say that I've learned to be content in any circumstance, whether I am made low or whether I'm living abundantly, because Jesus Christ is the only place that we can have rest for our souls. His yoke is easy. His burden is light, which does not mean that the Christian life is easy by any means. But then plenty are in want for richer, for poor, for sickness and health. Jesus is the only place that we can find rest for our souls. The biblical, the American dream is not a biblical dream. Now, I'm not, I'm not David Platt. You know, you know David Platt is the pastor down, down the road at Church of Brook Hills. He wrote a book on, um, uh, called Radical. And I, I haven't read it. I've heard him speak. It basically advocates um, for a, just a, a radical... Um, sort of turning upside down the American dream. Some people have sold a bunch of stuff. Um, I'm not advocating for the sale of all our stuff. Um, I'm not saying that we never have, should have nice things, never go to nice restaurants, never go to nice vacation destinations. Uh, I am say, saying that if we are pursuing Christ as the satisfaction of our souls, uh, then, then that pursuit that belief that Christ really is the satisfaction of our souls, if we really live that way, that it's going to challenge the way that we have ordered our lives. And it is going to uh, challenge our perception of what we need, uh, what we deserve, and it is going to reorient our spending decisions. Uh, now, I want to be very, very careful that I'm not saying that this is how you are to be a Christian. This was what makes you a Christian. We are saved by grace. And I certainly don't want to say that I've and super spiritual about every spending decision uh, that I make. Um, but I am, I am challenged. And in fact, I'm personally challenged by just even pre- preparing this class. Um, if Christ really is the satisfaction of our souls, it will challenge uh, our spending decisions. Um, how we use our money reflects our values. Both uh, actively, our sort of active values, I really believe in this, I'm given to this, but also passively, just sort of the way that we routinely live our lives without thinking about it. Um, if a total stranger were to look at your checkbook, your check register, or your online statement, if you don't hadn't registered, you know, balance your checkbook like some of us in, in a long time, but if they if they um, if they were to look at your check register. Uh, what would they say is important to you? And I would say that that is actually what's important to you. 
that, that will be a pretty accurate reading. Um, noticing what is not on there, what would they say is not important to you? You might actually think, this is actually very important to me, I just can't get to that right now, and that's okay. That's, that's okay, I'm not saying that that's alright. Um, percentages are important. The Percentages are very important. I, I don't uh, mean to say that the most important thing ought to have the highest percentage. I'm not saying you should give 80% uh, to the church and, and try to live on 20%. I'm not saying that at, at all. Um, your housing, uh, your living expenses are probably going to be higher than your percentage of giving. And it doesn't have to be, uh, but, it, but it probably is, and that's okay. I mean, you, you're, to, you're to care uh, for your family. Uh, but if you got a $4,000 a month mortgage and you're making $80,000 a month, then that's okay to have a $4,000 a month mortgage. Really? I mean, you know, you're probably fine. It might make more sense to just go in and pay the whole thing off. Uh, but, um, you know, that's, that's uh, I, I, without any um, down payment uh, over a 30-year thing, that's, that's almost a, a million and a half dollar home. And that, that uh, so that's, that's not considered interest and everything, but $4,000 a month for 360 payments is almost $1.5 million. So that's, that's a nice house for somebody you know, making $80,000 a month. If you're making uh, $7,000 a month, you probably shouldn't have a $4,000 mortgage a month. Uh, because you know what? There is no way. Uh, you're, you're, I mean, you're house poor, and you're not, you have not positioned yourself to be able to give to anything. Now, the issue isn't, and not, there's no or else, give or else, you're not being good if, if not. The, the issue isn't that God is, is um, going to go broke because you're not giving. The issue is that you cannot practically, pragmatically, you have not ordered your life that you're able to think of anyone else but yourself. Because all of your money has to go uh, to your own expenses. And so if... It, maybe you used to make a bunch and that was okay, but, but it may be time to reorder uh, our lives. Um, it's not a healthy spiritual situation uh, to, um, if you're not able to practically think of anyone else. You have not ordered your life to be healthy. Um, 1 Timothy 5.8. Yep, Frank. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for That's a challenging verse. You're not providing uh, for your relatives. In other words, it's not not just yourself, but you're thinking about other people, especially your own household. Um, Then you've denied the faith and you're worth an unbeliever, which is not to say that you're you're going to hell. I mean, I think he's speaking hyperbolically, but um, but, but it's to say that that it is really important um, that we're thinking of other people. Um, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Yeah, Philippians 2. Yep. Do nothing from our way or conceit, and humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. I tell you, I was, I was praying through um, this, this class, and that verse sort of came to mind. I've never thought of it in terms of money. But Paul says, do nothing out of rivalry, that is, trying to compete with other people, or conceit, that is, really thinking highly of yourself. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
What, is your, what does my checkbook say about that? Why does God want you to think of others? Because if you don't, the ship's going down, right? No. He wants you to think of others because He loves you. That's part of His grace, part of His gift uh, to you. There's no or else. God, there's no do it or else. God, God loves you. And, and He died for you and He wants the best for you. And the best for you is to reflect His uh, character. And His character is to put others first. Think of the Trinity. The Father was always pointing uh, to the Son and to the coming of the Holy Spirit. The, the Son was always uh, saying, I, am, I, am, I and the Father are one. I, I do nothing except what the Father says. And He's always promising the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to lift up the Father and the Son. They're, each member of, of the Godhead is constantly li- lifting up others. And, to, and, and Jesus on the cross... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's constantly, He died to save us. He gave His whole life for it. That's His character. And His character is to give. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so we have the opportunity, um, prayerfully, with our spouse, if we're married, and that's very important, with our, to do, make these decisions in step with our spouse, to walk uh, towards a lifestyle that puts us in a position to reflect the character of God, not to earn His favor, but because He has put His favor upon us. Uh, because of uh, the Gospel. And it's with, with our spouse, because it's all about, that's all about values. Our, this, um, uh, a shared agreement on, on how we spend money uh, means that we have agreed on our values. And that's important. That is important uh, for a marriage. Now, I want to just take this opportunity. Um, Scott brought up uh, the question, uh, a question about sort of insurance and faith versus uh, fear. And I want to sort of put that under the... Con- I don't want to get too far away from 1 Timothy 5.8. says, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than unbeliever. Um, Scott, if I understood your question right, uh, it was primarily saying, what, at what point do we live in faith? And just know that God is going to protect us. At what point are we insulating ourselves from the protection of God if we have insured everything uh, altogether? And that is a great uh, question. And here is what I have to say. This is not the right answer. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm not a financial guy. Um, but what I think is that Bill Gates and folks, sort of the uber wealthy, that they don't need uh, insurance to protect themselves from catastrophe. They're self-insured. Um, and, and I do need uh, insurance to protect myself from catastrophe. Now, I have, a, I, have a, um, I have an emergency fund for sort of short-term things. It's about three months of, of expenses uh, saved up. Um, I don't have debt, and so those things are good. Am I, am I doing those things because I am um, not showing faith in God, or, because, or am I being a good steward of what God has given me on the front end? Uh, in case, and that's sort of how I, I look at it, that I want to minimize the risk so that when somebody in my family does have cancer, which is you know is going to happen, or or some other thing, or when there's some giant uh, bill that comes along that I uh, can't pay for because a tree fell in my house, that I won't be in a situation where I say, well, why didn't God protect me? Um, I don't think that. I mean, life happens. You know, we're not. We don't. Uh, we are under the umbrella of His grace, but that doesn't mean we live in a, a for, under a force field. And so I think that 
um, that's that's what that's sort of the way I take it. Is that um, I don't, I think there's a difference between being a good steward and planning ahead and, and living in, in fear, um, and it's really a heart issue, not a outward practical issue. Yeah, any any more? I don't know if I'm. That's really all I have to say about it in this time frame, but. Uh, is that how, do, how does that sit? Just yeah, I think you know, what you said about Trinity last the last time we met was uh, moving. You said they don't have an endowment. Trinity Seminary, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And I think that is proceeding, you know, going forward with absolute faith and trust, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, like I said in the email, um, you know, storing up all these things, these little squirrels of either disability insurance, life insurance. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, you know, is that a is that's fear for wanting to provide for my family? That is sort of a, I do that out of a fear issue for them as opposed to just trusting. Well, I think that, um, you know, I think it come, comes under sort of eating meat, uh, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians uh, 14, uh, where he says there's great issues and there's some people that, that don't have any, Paul's talking about, uh, there's some people that uh, don't have a problem with eating meat uh, that have been sacrificed to idol and there's some people that really do. And Paul says, you're both right. Um, if you have a moral aversion to this, then just then don't do it. Just get, if, to eating meat, um, just go walk in what you know. This isn't this is a secondary issue. And, and yet, if you don't have a moral aversion, that's okay if you're eating the meat. So how does that relate? Uh, if you have, if you feel like you're being if there's something in your spirit that you're being disobedient uh, by getting this insurance and sort of insulating yourself from risk, um, then I would say. Gosh, and I'm no—I even hesitate to do this, but I would say that's really between you and the Lord. And um, if He is—he does call some people to sort of extreme things. And if you—if He says—and I would say that's that's sort of an extreme thing. Um, but for, I think for by and large, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. And so if if it's wrong for you, don't do it. But if but if you have the means to insure yourself and you're not self-insured, then I would say. It makes sense, um, but if that, but like I said, we can chew on that more over coffee or something like that. All right, um, how are we doing on time? Uh, I want to. Um, we have about 15 minutes left. I want to talk about debt, and I want to talk about tithing. Um, before I get there, any any questions or any any comments or pushback or? Yeah. You know, to that point, it doesn't seem to me that you can advocate. Responsibility of faith mm-hmm. any more than you would rely on God to raise your children. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to raise your children faithfully, but you don't just advocate the responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. And so it seems to me, you know, insuring, having health insurance and having property casualty insurance mm-hmm. to protect your family and to protect your, your, you know, that which you've been given mm-hmm. um, is is a sign of stewardship. It's right. a sign of, you know, mm-hmm. Being responsible, and I don't know. I would have a hard time when someone just says, "Hey, I'm just going to pray on it and leave it up to God and not take any personal responsibility." Yeah, I, I would, I would, I, I would agree. Do you sell insurance? Is that what you're? No, um, um, no. I, <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I was, uh, I, I would agree. I mean, I would say that that should be sort of made a, a decision. Even would be better to be made in, in sort of counsel and prayer with with other. Uh, for Christian friends and Christian leaders, it's not. Um, it, it would seem careless unless the Lord would is just calling you to do that. Um, in the same way that it seems sort of crazy for somebody to 
leave everything they have and go be a missionary in some other place, part of the world, unless the Lord is calling you to do it. And the safest place to be is in the will of the Lord. And so uh, I can't say that God would never call you to that sort of level of faith. But I do think that, um, but if he hasn't, if you're not sort of pressed by that, then, I mean, you know, let the chips fall where they may. So, uh, all right, let's talk about debt. Um, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, debt, or financing something, uh, means that you are committing to pay for something on into the future, um, except that you don't know what the future holds, truthfully. You may have a pretty good idea. I mean, your job is pretty solid, and, and you know, you've um, got a good income, and, and, um, but the, really, the truth is, you don't know what the future holds. James 4, 15, uh, 13 through 15. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make it profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Okay. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist. It appears for a little time. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. Uh, when you're making a debt decision, you need to account for the Lord's will, and not just your own. Financing something, not always, generally means that I know that I want, that I want something now that I can't afford now. Uh, and since you don't know what the future holds, it is often wiser and cheaper to make uh, payments to yourself until you can afford it. Um, Dave Ramsey says, you know, $4,000. Somebody said, told him, gosh, all I got is $4,000. It won't buy much of a car. And he said, it'll buy a car without payments. Um, so, and, uh, and then you keep, keep saving and buy another one. Um, it's, uh, which is not to say, I mean, does that mean, well, I'm just going to rent forever and now I can't? Uh, buy a house because I'm not going to have three, four, five hundred thousand dollars to to plunk down a on a house. Not necessarily, uh, but you again, you want to position your life so that you can uh, have spiritual health. And uh, if you are um, if you are putting yourself in a position to later be able to have no house payments, no rent, no nothing, that, that's great with me. It's set that you are taking on a risk when you finance something. I um, uh, One time, uh, I, the only wreck that I've been in, I rear-ended a lady. And I, 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 I turned a, uh, um, I, I turned a Tercel into a, a Geo. I mean, I just, I just, I just um, smashed the whole uh, back of her car. And, um, and it was awful. And it was a total loss. And she owed... Uh, more than they were willing to give her, and I felt—I mean, I felt terrible. I couldn't write her a check. I didn't. I mean, they wouldn't know wasn't appropriate for me to do that. And I couldn't have done it anyway at that time. And she was in a world of mess. Now she had to get have a car to get to work. Is it was it wiser to finance the car in order to get to work, um, or is it wiser to ride the bus until you can pay for a car? I, I don't know. I'm not in her situation, but I think that what. Um, what we need to consider, it, we, need to, we need to think more in terms of, of praying through decisions 
Lord, do you do I need this? Do I need this um, now, or can I wait? And and through big decisions like that, um, and and it sometimes uh, shows some self restraint. Uh, if with the Lord we um, think we need to wait, um, Proverbs twenty two seven. He's got that. Yeah, Brent. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Because if you don't if you don't pay that off, you're you're going to you know court or something. Um. It requires self-restraint, but if we are satisfied with the Lord, if He's our if He's our contentment, then we don't need this thing, and it's no big deal. And that's again, I am not trying to throw a blanket over every situation. Uh, let me say this: um, debt is not wrong. It's a princi- biblical principle. It is not a law. There's no law that says do not get into debt. Uh, it is a principle uh, that the debt debtor is slave to the lender, and so. Um, so it, perhaps it's not advisable unless it, unless it is advisable. So I want to say that, and the, as far as I can tell, biblically, uh, debt is not wrong; it's just not advisable. Now Proverbs is pretty clear. Proverbs again, it's Old Testament, pretty clear. Signing, uh, co-signing for someone is is not a good idea because ultimately you're going to be the one paid. I mean, their, their whole profession is to figure out whether or not somebody can pay before they lend them money, and they say no. So you're going to see. You're going to sign and say yes, yes, they can. Uh, you're going to end up paying if you co-sign. Um, so that's what I have to say about uh, debt. Um, it, it, right or wrong, that's 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 how I read scripture. That's how we uh, handle our lives. Um, okay, tithing. Um, the word tithe means one tenth. What am I doing? Tithe means a tenth, which means if you give five percent of your income to the church, you're not tithing. You can't. These are my tithes. They're not tithes because it's five percent. It's not. It's not a tenth. Um, a tithe is ten percent, and the biblical call to tithe is an Old Testament mandate. It's Old Testament, uh, and, and in fact, there were several required tithes. So, the, uh, depending on your situation, the you know the, the legal requirement over you uh, to give for your in the Old Testament times was was could have been twenty or thirty percent of your income giving uh, to the things of God. And in Christ, as you know, uh, hopefully as you know, we are free from the law of God. Uh, we are free from the condemnation of the law of God. Uh, and and one is is not required. You are not required to give a certain percentage of your income in order to keep God's favor in order to make him happier. He is not happier with you if you give uh, 8% than if you give 5%, but he really thinks you're an all-star if you give 10% uh, or more, uh, because all of the favor that we could ever have is given to us in Christ. It is, it is a reflection of what we give to him. Because it is good for us, what we give to him is, is, a, is a, out of gratitude. And we may be in a position in our lives where right now we cannot give 10% or more. Uh, or we may be much less um, you should not feel condemned by not giving 10%. Uh, and you can, but on the flip side, you should not feel constrained to only give 10%. Who's got uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 7? Okay. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
for God loves a cheerful giver. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Which means, if you are bitter before the Lord about how much you think He is making you give, don't give. You must cover that up. Um, but the problem is not what the Lord is requiring. The, the problem is in your own heart. Um, the, um, but I, I do think it's... I advise people to look at um, what they're giving in terms of a percentage of your income. Do business, do business with the Lord about the percentage of your income that you're going to give rather than the dollar amount. Because, man, you can look and say, well, gosh, $8,000, that, I mean, that's a lot of money. That sounds like, to give to church, that sounds like a lot. Well, you make $450,000 a year. Um, and so $8,000 is not a lot. I mean, look at your check register. What's really important? Um, again, it's not, it's not what he should, that person should do. Um, it's, it's about what's good for his heart. What position is he putting himself uh, in, or she putting himself in, uh, to, in order to put others first and to consider others better than yourself? $8,000 is a lot of money. Gosh, particularly if you, you make um, $50,000 a year or even $80,000 a year. Um, so it's uh, so the point is not the money because you can be but so don't look at the dollar amount because you can be enamored with wow that looks like a lot of money and in fact there's actually the other things that get a lot more of your money because you just haven't thought it through so pick out a percentage you and your spouse if you're married uh, with the Lord prayerfully and then give that my thought on on pledging and I'm not saying this is not this is my opinion on pledging is that a pledge is a is an estimated promise. And um, a, a pledge is uh, when I think, look at what I think my income is going to be next year. I'm not really sure, but I think what it's going to be, I'm going to say I'm going to give 10% of that, or whatever percentage that you come up with. Again, you should not be constrained by 10%, because the, the, uh, the, old, the, New Testament, the Old Testament standard was a tie. The New Testament standard is generosity. It's all His. God gave everything He had for us. Don't be constrained by 10%. Um, but don't feel compelled that either. I don't know what your situation is. And don't, don't be condemned, but give cheerfully uh, to the Lord. So I'm going to make this, uh, 2 Corinthians 9. Let's just see, it's come from a passage where Paul has is, Paul is taken up a collection from the different churches that he's founded. He's going to take it back for these, from these Gentile churches to uh, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who think they're kind of high and mighty and, um, and better than everything, but are getting blasted with persecution from the Jewish establishment. And so, um, so Paul really wants, this is going to be a great sort of binding thing for, for the Christian communities um, around uh, that, that he's familiar with. And so he's taking out this collection. And this is what he says about the people who are getting. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So he's not promising that if you give, you will get rich. He's, but he is promising that if you give, you will be blessed. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Our giving produces thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, which is important, meeting their physical needs, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, the ones who are receiving the the money, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and for all others, while they long for you and they pray for you, see the people who are receiving the money are going to pray for you and give thanks to God. So they give glory to God. They're praying for you because, um, that, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. See, giving does incredible things for the recipients, but it also does incredible things for the giver. So, hold what you have in an open hand. If you hold on to your stuff you, like this, you probably won't lose it, but you, you can't get anything else either. So hold what you have with an open hand. And it may fall out of your hand, but you'll be ready to receive. Give first. Whatever percentage you've decided with the Lord, uh, give first. When you get paid, write the check. It's done. you got 90% or however much it is to live off of. If you give last, whatever percentage you've decided will not be there. So give first, not last. Give joyfully. And just know this. Uh, you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. So, um, I hope this is a blessing to you. I hope it's not... Uh, comes condemnation. I hope it's challenging in all the right ways. So let's close with prayer and then i got to go to church. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, You are gracious unto us. Uh, help us, Lord, to be generous but joyful givers. We ask, Lord, that we might be pleasing unto You, not because of what we do outwardly, nearly as much as what You do inwardly. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have questions, email me, call me. It would be great.